Good morning, listeners. You're tuned to WOWD 94.3 FM, and this is Interfaith-ish. I'm Sue Katz-Miller, sitting in for host Jack Gordon. This live talk show airs every other Wednesday right here on Tacoma Radio. And on each episode, we bring you bold conversations about how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. And this week, as usual, we host a conversation with two guests from two different religions or worldviews. So far on Interfaith-ish, we've had Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, and secular humanist guests, among others. And today, you're guaranteed to have your eyes opened and your mind expanded, because we have guests from the local Sikh community and the local Baha'i community, which are two of the youngest global religions. First, we're honored to welcome by Gurdashan Singh, the senior clergy person of the Guru Gobind Singh Foundation in Rockville, Maryland. Good morning, by Gurdashan. Good morning. And from the leadership of DC's Baha'i community, the local spiritual assembly, we welcome Neodoy Glover. Good morning, Neodoy. Good morning. So in a moment, we'll learn more from each of these guests, and then in the second half of the hour, they're going to have a chance to ask each other questions. My first guest today is Bai Gurdashan Singh, a leader of the local Sikh community. So this is a great opportunity for all of us to learn more about Sikhism, which is the world's fifth largest religion with some 30 million adherents around the world. So can you tell us a little bit about how and when and where this religion arose? First of all, good morning. Good morning. And thank you, uh, everyone who's listening. And it is, uh, I find it's the greatest opportunity to connect with you all through this uh, radio program. Um, as Sue said, that uh, my name is Gurdarshan Singh. I'm uh, based in Rockville. Our organization name is um, Sikh Spiritual Center Guru Gobind Singh Foundation. And Sikh religion was started by founder name was Guru Nanak. The Guru word these days is used, um, I hate it when they say political guru and economic guru. Using it as a uh, metaphor. Uh, using yeah. as a metaphor. But yeah. Guru has uh, deeper meaning. Gu is ignorance. Ru means enlightenment. Mm -hmm. A person who travels from state of ignorance to enlightenment becomes a Guru. Guru is not a status given by somebody or, uh, uh, you know, appointed by someone. The Guru is someone who realizes life. Guru is the one who uh, sees the divine light uh, within. So our founder was Guru Nanak. He was born in 1469. At that time, um, the place is called Nantana Sahib in uh, Pakistan right now. Um, at that time, it was part of that uh, South Asian, uh, Asian re region. Uh, now it's India. So Guru Nanak, uh, from very childhood, he was born in um, a affluent Hindu family. Uh, but he did not believe in anything like, from very childhood, he questioned everything. Um, as you know, that the caste was the prevalent practice exercise in those days. And he rejected that. And 
the three golden rules he gave us was nam japana was the number one means meditate be thankful to the creator who gave you life who introduced you to this beautiful universe to have that divine experience to connect with one another second golden rule is kirt karna get the karna to earn your own earning uh work hard and don't don't depend on anyone else third is the whatever god has given to you in any shape and form share with others not that they are unfortunate or not that they don't have it feel like they are part of you and share with your knowledge with them share your earnings with them share whatever you feel that made has made your life beautiful uh, meaningful and that will help others too so can you tell us more about the local community because this is a religion as we say it's the fifth largest it's very very important around the world and then here in the dc area tell us a little bit about the landscape are there multiple um sick places of worship how many people are there locally do you know is it growing it is growing mm. i came here in this year 1987 at that time we were around 5000 now there are 35 to 40000 six wow in uh, washington baltimore metro, uh, metro area so we have 13 big gurudwaras the place of learning a place of worship we call uh, they are learning centers catering uh, different uh, areas of the community as uh, our gurudwara is uh, based in rockville maryland and lot of people come from northern virginia uh, and clarksburg gettysburg germantown potomac north potomac rockville all these those areas are covered with this gurdwara uh, and what kinds of services do you provide at the sikh center at your gurdwara there in rockville uh, what are the activities going on in a typical week very good question <laughs> and as the community grew with the grace of uh, god we have a huge gurdwara uh, sikh center there uh, you know uh, when i came it was the first generation majority of that and people were looking to establish themselves now the kids are there the need of kids are different than uh, when the first immigrants came so we have a seven days program uh, we have different centers especially from our organization on monday we have a kirtan class kirtan is hymn singing learning so then uh, all, uh, at least 20 kids come to mm. the center learn different 20 tickets come 15 to 20 kids on tuesday then wednesday thursday friday uh, we have a congregation in the evening it starts from 7:30 to 9:30 so every age group comes there um, in that service 
we have uh, him singing, uh, translating, and uh, of course, after every service, we have a, a meal, which we call a langar, and for everyone, sex and non-sex, it's prepared fresh there in the Gurdwara kitchen. The langar is an amazing tradition. I know about it because I have been going to interfaith conferences over the last few years, and often the Sikh community comes in and prepares this free vegetarian lunch for everybody there. Uh, at the Parliament of the World's Religions, I was lucky to be there, and the Sikh community came in from all over the world to cook every day for thousands of people there. And we would put on head coverings, take off our shoes, and then sit down with our friends from all religions and enjoy this meal together. So it's an amazing experience. Now, if somebody locally is interested in visiting your center, what would be their opportunities? Are they welcome? And what should they do? What, what do they need to know about that? Anyone and everyone is welcomed. As you said, uh, you know, uh, there was a little uh, water in my eyes. Uh, mm. Emotionally, that uh, such a langar is a very powerful phenomenon, a very powerful tradition. And looking at when I uh, look back in uh, uh, Indian society and Indian culture, the people did not have this opportunity to sit together, sit in the same row. Across caste, across religion. Absolutely. Yeah. That opportunity was created by uh, Sikh gurus. That diversity is God's plan. There is a line in Guru Granth Sahib. He says, Eh Jagabadi Mera Pramali in scriptures. That this universe is a garden of God. Each and every one uh, human beings uh, or any life has a different color, different fragrances. When you hate something, somebody, because of uh, that person has a different color, a different belief system, you are not just uh, condemning the person, you are condemning the Creator. He went that far. Before you condemn anyone because of their caste, color, creed, uh, think that you are not condemning only that individual or person. You are condemning the Creator. You're saying, God, why did you create this guy, mm. this person, this color? So through uh, this longer tradition, he uh, created that platform for everyone to sit, to love, to serve each other, one another. And in our Gurdwara, anyone is welcome anytime. And only thing, uh, it's a traditionally that we take our shoes off and cover our head in order to have... Uh, you know, uniformity in the congregation. You're listening to Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 Tacoma Radio. I'm Sue Katz Miller, sitting in for regular host Jack Gordon. We've been speaking with a local leader of the Sikh community by Gurdashan Singh. And my second guest this morning is Nia Doi Glover, a member of the Baha'i Faith. Niyadoy, can you tell us some of the basics of how and where and when the Baha'i religion was born and where it is centered now? The faith was born in Iran. 1844 is when it started. It was two prophet manifestations, what we call twin manifestations. So it was a forerunner called the Bab, which meant the gate. Um, and he was, he was the, the, uh, the prophet or the manifestation of God to prepare mankind for the, the um, next prophet to come, which was Baha'u'llah, which is the Baha'i faith is uh, named after. And 
Do you know approximately how many uh, Baha'i adherents we have now, and where are they kind of located in the globe? Around the world, uh, a rough estimate is around 7 million. Um, they're located in, in every nation, tribe, all over the world, so it's scattered all around the world. Here in D.C., there are uh, there is a Baha'i community that goes back generations now. Um, you're a native Washingtonian. Were you born into this, or is it something that you found somewhere along your spiritual pathway? Uh, both. Uh-huh. <laughs> so my mom uh, is a Baha'i. Uh-huh. Uh, she's passed now, but from my understanding, I feel like she's still a Baha'i. <laughs> um, so my mom was a Baha'i, so I, I went to um, Baha'i children's classes. We have children's classes at the Baha'i Center on 16th Street. Um, but one of the central tenets of the faith is independent investigation of truth. So um, it wouldn't be, so that means that regardless if you're born into a Baha'i family or your parents are Baha'i, it's up to you to investigate truth for yourself. Mm. And at 15 is when you have the right to decide if you want to be a Baha'i at that time or not. And so later I became a Baha'i, later around 22, after I investigated the faith. Okay. And what are some of those principles that you're committing yourself to then when you make that commitment? What are some of the foundational ideas in the Baha'i faith? I guess the main principle is uh, the oneness of God and the oneness of religion, and that uh, religion is uh, is successive, so it comes in succession. Um, so that's one of the main principles, that uh, it's like chapters of one, of one book. So each manifestation or prophet comes to, to give mankind a message, um, tell it for that day. And then another man, then, you know, it's like the, the rising of the sun. And then when, when that religion uh, starts to uh, go, I, I hate to say decline, but starts to lose its spiritual tenets, then it's renewed. It's like the sun, you know, renews a new day. So that's kind of the, the foundation of my principles. So in this faith, you recognize some of the prophets from the previous religions, uh, like yeah. Moses and Jesus. Yeah. yeah. What's interesting is that Christianity, um, Islam, they all adhere to that that central principle. Because if, if you see that uh, the the Old Testament is connected to the Gospel, which is the New Testament, which is a new man, is a new uh, new book for that day. Um, so they're all connected, and if and Muhammad is connected um even um genetically or uh he's he's a he's descendant of uh Abraham and so so you know it's always been from my understanding especially among the major religions a connection. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now you're on something called the local spiritual assembly here in DC. Can you explain a little bit about how Baha'i uh, leadership works, how the, the structure works. There there aren't actually clergy members, is my understanding. Yeah, so that's one thing I wanted to clear up. I'm not at no way going to form a leader of anything. Okay. So uh, we have what well, we have administrative bodies, and administrative bodies start from the local level to the national level to the universal level. And so there's nine members to each uh, body, and they're elected by the community. So the local spiritual assembly is elected by the D.C. community. Um, and the election is a, a prayerful process. There's no um, electioneering. Um, as a matter of fact, if you if you was to say, this is why I think I should be elected, that would kind of be... Disqualify <laughs> you? I mean, not <laughs> legally. I mean, legally disqualify you, but it would show that your maturity level may not be right for that position. Mm. So, yeah, so it's a spiritual process. You pray, you feel like, 
some of the people who have certain qualities. You try to not only have, you know, intellectual qualities or spiritual qualities, but like a, also a diversity of membership. Yeah. But what are the tasks then of that uh, local assembly? Administrating things within the um, Baha'i community um, in D.C. So, for instance, we have a something called the um, the Ruhi courses. We have uh, children's classes, spiritual empowerment classes for children, middle school, and adults, and what they call the core activities. So these are happening all over the world. And the the principle is to um, it is not about you being a Baha'i or not, but to to kind of um, spread this, these principles of unity and love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned that there is a center on 16th Street. Can you tell us a little bit more about what happens there and how maybe a visitor could engage with it if they're interested? So on Sundays, we have a Sunday program, which is open to the public. Every Sunday, we have a talk, a speaker. So that's one way. Another way is um, we have volunteer activities all over the uh, D.C. area. So if you want to uh, be involved in the children's program, we have courses for the children, uh, middle school program. We have devotionals, which is like uh, when people get together and pray, um, pray, and then have, and then a lot of times speak about social issues and spiritual issues affecting our community. And those would be often in small groups, like in in homes or yeah, in in homes. The the found the one of the principles is that everything should be within the local community, and so. Um, you should serve in your local community if you serve like uh the people in your local community so it could be but it could be from a bigger event to a small a smaller event in people's homes and they happen all over the um different wards of the city in dc i yeah. know there's a community here in tacoma park is yes. there not yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah so yeah. people locally who want to explore that could get in touch so we're streaming live at TacomaRadio.org, and this is Interfaith-ish. I'm Sue Katz-Miller, sitting in for host Jack Gordon. And in this, the second half of our hour, we encourage our two guests to model diplomatic interfaith engagement, or really just to learn from each other as neighbors. So today, we're here with Gurdashan Singh, a scholar and leader in the local Sikh community, and Ni Adoy Glover from the local Baha'i community. Um, by Gurdashan, did you have a question for Nia Doi about the Baha'i faith? Uh, first of all, thank you for this opportunity. And, uh, and forgive my ignorance about Baha'i faith. Um, <clears throat> one thing sometimes question comes, uh, you know, as a Sikh, I grew up in India, and people say, Bhai Saab, could you tell us about uh, Hinduism? Um, I would say no. <laughs> it's a simple reason that, uh, you know, whatever we learn from um, books, it may not be true. Religion can only be learned from those people who exercise. And um, I have seen it because I had heard about uh, things about other faiths. When we got involved into interfaith conference in Washington, D.C., I came to know that whatever I have, I have been taught uh, in my school about other religions, it was not right. When you learn faith from person who is exercising, who is living, who is breathing that religion, then you know the value of that religion. And that's why we do this show. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, and uh, I would l like to ask you, how, how do you deal the issues uh, you know, youth in, in our community have so much uh, pressures. 
and uh, you know there's Facebook, Twitters, and so much information available, and um, that sometimes feel you feel like that they're, they're going away from the tradition. Do you have any programs to stay them connected with the with the community and Baha'i faith? Uh, yeah, and that's one of the programs I was talking about. Was uh, we have the spiritual empowerment program for uh, youth, and so one of the main things is it doesn't matter what religion you're from, but it uh, it has spiritual principles that's taken from the Baha'i faith about. And so we ask some questions like, how does this affect you? What do you think? Um, how is the things around you, Facebook, the television, YouTube, how does it affect your consciousness, your spiritual consciousness, and, and what uh, what you see around you today? Like so, so those are one of the um, we. These are one of the core activities, and so it, it addresses not only from children all the way up to adults. And then we have these um, devotionals, which is um, people getting together and praying. So instead of avoiding those digital influences, you try to encourage them to talk about how they're affecting their lives. Yes, not only how it's affecting their lives, but also we have uh, we have courses, what they call Ruhi uh, courses, that help you engage with the Word of God and how the Word of God, which is uh, in actuality a spiritual principle, and how it relates to the world you're living in. Mm -hmm. and so and so you address certain things like bite backbiting right is a, is a negative thing within uh, within all religions right so because we live in a in a um time of rampant backbiting like you always everybody's always talking about each other and so how does that affect you and how do you consciously how do you address these things that are being presented to you as normal by Gurdashan, i understand you're also working with youth in your community that's part of your work yes what does that look like uh in your community it is, and because um, I'm part of this culture last 30 years, and we every day we are being bombarded by media, culture, so many things, and uh, you know, uh, where you uh, it is becomes very difficult to choose what is right and what is wrong. And in our uh, community, thankfully, that we have uh, camps for youth. Uh, summer camps. Mm. Uh, we have uh, retreats for young professionals where they get together and uh, talk about these issues. And because now the universe is becoming a global village, mm. the cultures, languages, principles are mingling. How do you stay connected and uh, being more meaningful, more giving, more loving, more kind? And how, uh, you know, two things, uh, as a human being, I would uh, say that uh, I want to be respected. I want to be accepted the way I am. And only thing this will happen is if you accept others the, the way you want to be accepted, uh, you have to respect others the way you want to be respected, regardless of uh, what your belief system is. So we teach them about our, our faith and the values um, you know, to uh, connect with people. And one thing which I say to my youth is always, keep your arms open to make friends of any community, any religion, any faith, but have guts to say no when they are not bringing right values. Make a friendship values. You don't have to hate anyone. Mm. You don't. 
And when you are going, you have to go to New York from here. You cannot take 95 South. You will end up somewhere else, even though you are driving, working hard. But you have to choose where you want to go, how you want to lead, how you want to lead your future. You're listening to Interfaith-ish on WOWD Tacoma Radio. And we're here in conversation with a Baha'i guest and a Sikh guest. Nia Doi, did you have a question about the Sikh faith that you wanted to ask while we have the chance here? Yeah, so uh, could you explain briefly the five Ks? What is the, the symbolism of each uh, K in the Sikh? It's a very good question. And many times our kids is challenged with the, you know, uh, the five articles of faith we have as one is what we call it's kada it's a bangle a bangle yeah you're wearing it i see it's uh, steel iron and second is sword kirpan which we call it kirpan a small sword as a sign of uh, a justice that you have to stand up for justice you speak for justice you speak for uh, those who may not be able to speak for and we see you're wearing the sword. So yes. all Sikh men would be wearing this kirpan. Sikh men, women. And the women. Who are baptized, mm-hmm. who are committed to this faith. And this is, not a, this is not a weapon. It is to remind my responsibilities, my, my duties. You know, when we are driving on the road, you see signs, 35, 45. They don't speak. They just remind you. Many times you... And also one thing I convey this to myself as well as my congregation that these five Ks are not to tell others who you are it is to remind you who you are mm-hmm. what your moral social political responsibility is to make this world more loving more kind more peaceful yes. these five Ks the, the bracelet that usually worn in the right hand so when you steal something when you pick up something it comes right in front of you. When you do something, it reminds you whether it is righteous what you're doing or otherwise. Are you stealing? Not st- You know, keep reminding you. And the, the case uh, unshown here is part of uh, uh, nature. So that's the third K. Third K. Mm-hmm. The comb, a little bit. It's a part of, uh, you know, to, to keep yourself clean. Cleanliness. The fourth, uh, fifth is the short uh, undergarment. It is to remind us the high moral character. So these five Ks keep reminding us uh, our own, uh, about our own destiny, own principles, life. It's reminding me when you said that the women also wear the kirpan. Because you both are adherents of younger religions, I see a connection in that both of them give equal roles to men and women in the religion, which was not necessarily true of the more ancient religions. Nia Doi, you want to speak to that a little bit in the Baha'i faith, the the role of men and women? Well, uh, one of the primary principles is is the equality of men and women. Um, And this this came at a point in Islam. Uh, this was very revolutionary in Iran, uh, and this is one of this is one of the reasons why they are were persecuted. Then over thirty thousand people were um, 
um, martyred and why they still persecute today because of uh, one of the principles is that the equality of men and women, mm. which does not mean sameness, but equality. That And um, one of the primary things it was saying, uh, the Baha'u'llah talks about, is that until it's like wings of a bird. And if both wings, unless both wings are strong, can a bird fly straight? And you know, so this is one of the, the main principles. And in the Sikh faith as well. Uh, absolutely. So the Guru and Guru Nanak, the founder of the faith, he challenged this. You uh, he says, "So kyon manda jat rajan? How can you say that you are superior from your mother, from your sister, who gave you birth, and who?" Uh, how would you dare to call even a woman as a lower when she is the one who introduced you to this universe? And then he said that your inner values has nothing to do with your gender. Your soul has the same same gender. You are being recognized by you will be recognized by a soul, not because your because of your gender. So sick women can be a priest, can do anything what men men do. So I know when you go to a Gurdwara, a, a Sikh place of worship, you would hear women, for instance, giving a sermon. Oh, yes. It's not unusual. No. Yeah. It's not even a question. Yeah. Interesting. Um, another connection that I see is this spirit of inclusivity. Um, and it's interesting that at the same time, because these are both younger religions, uh, they are minority religions, almost in any country. There's no place where you're the majority. And in part because of that, I think that there's a history that you've had to deal with of intolerance, of misunderstanding, and even oppression. Nia um, Doi, you mentioned that in the history uh, of the Baha'i faith and in the Sikh faith as well? well yes. Uh, Sikhs were hunted like uh, anything in, back in 18th century. 19th century, even uh, you know, in, in it, I witnessed those incidents in country like India. Mm. It's called largest democracy in the world, but there is no law and order. There's no, there's no law and order. Any um, uh, racial tension, religious tension, political tension can create a mob violence. And in 1984, uh, you know, if you have read or seen when Prime Minister of India was uh, assassinated, tens of thousands of Sikhs were murdered uh, because the, the guy who shot was a Sikh. Hmm. But the whole community is not involved in this. Anyone who saw with the turban, anyone saw with the Bengals, but was burned alive with putting tires around their necks, and no one was punished. And the other hand, in Mesa, Arizona, after 9-11, there was one Sikh guy, Barbir Singh Sodi. He was a gas station owner. He was working, uh, putting flowers around his gas station, and he was shot by somebody. And in September 14th, that was the National Day of Prayer declared by President Bush. And I was in uh, National Cathedral with all the presidents praying for uh, the world peace and uh, for the victims of 9-11. And 
at his funeral, one person's funeral, there were 40,000 people in Miss Arizona, whites, blacks, uh, crossing all the religious boundaries. They could not see one innocent person is being killed. But in India, tens of thousands of people were killed. No one prayed, no one uh, said anything that it is unjust. So in minority communities, uh, unfortunately suffer uh, many times because of the political rhetoric. What has impressed me greatly about the Sikh community here in the United States since 9-11, I know that Sikhs have been targeted often because the men wear turbans. They're very visible. So people will target you. And completely ignorant misunderstandings occur. And often the people who are attacking Sikhs think that they're attacking Muslims. And the Sikhs, instead of saying, oh, no, that's not us, we're not Muslims, they stand strong and say, you, you shouldn't be attacking anybody. That's right. That's our stand is. Why any innocent Muslim or anyone be, you know, made target of any, any kind of uh, violence? And Sikhs have, uh, you know, uh, gone through a difficult time. Our kids go to school with a turban. Uh, they are bullied many times. I think it's, it, it is our responsibility as religious communities and also the government has to kick in to, you know, uh, to spread the message of harmony, equality and uh, diversity. And when this message is not coming from the higher-ups, then the people who may be ignorant, they take advantage of uh, situation yeah what do we see today you're listening to interfaith ish we've been talking about inclusivity diversity and what it's like to be a religious minority in america and here in dc Niadoy, for you as a black man what is it that draws you to the baha'i faith and how does this um you know help you uh in your journey here I guess as a black man, I have uh, um, unity with the Iranian Baha'i believers. And what I mean is unity, but same sort of uh, struggle, you know, as far as being from a certain country and being, being uh, persecuted by, you know, that country. And so that's one of the things as far as like, because the Baha'is, of course, they are persecuted in Iran, not able to be educated. I mean, educated at the, uh, universities. Even today. Um, even today, um, yeah. not able to um, own businesses, um, businesses are taken away from them, homes are being ransacked. So they still, and the local spiritual assembly members there have been gone missing, been put in prison. Um, so likewise, uh, the history of, of America period has been the um, subjugation of blacks. I mean, it's not just about, it's hard, you know, when I talk about the Baha'i faith, I'm talking about all all religions. Like all religions essentially for me are one. Like um is this the names the names change but the spirit is the same, right? The names it's it's a trans it's like if I say near do I you the same person you are at nine years old. You can I would say, yeah, to some degree. But if you talk about maturity and experience, I would say no. So it's this, the same way I look at uh, religion and faith, that it's, it's progressive, right? So 
you know, when a religion is supposed to be persecuting us, I realize that it's not the religion itself, but the people who are not adhering to the religious principles. To what extent do, is each of these religions what we would call Dharmic versus Abrahamic? Is that something that makes any sense? Uh, when you say Dharmic, I guess you're referring to... Uh, uh, Traditionally, Indian, that's, yeah, Hinduism, like Hinduism Buddhism, like Buddhism. Well, right. those are one of the nine... Uh, for us, the nine major religions. So uh, Buddha is one of the, you know, one of the main prophets, and it's always been prophets of God throughout eternity. Matter of fact, in the Quran, it says that uh, the prophets have been as numerous as <laughs> the leaves on a tree, right? So you can't. So prophets is always mankind. God will never leave mankind um, without any type of direction. So, but if you talk about the the Abrahamic religions, which is um, uh, Muhammad. Uh, um, Moses, Abraham, Jesus Christ, um, the Bab and Baha'u'llah, that's this, that's a, along the Abrahamic line. But So Baha'i sees itself in that Abrahamic line? Uh, well, genetically, yes, but spiritually, it's, you know, Buddhism, Hinduism. Drawing it's, on it's all, all nine of those. It's not, you know, it's, it's hard to say drawing on, it's like, mm. it's one. Right? Okay. It's all one. Like if you you know Baha'u'llah, and I might mess this up, has a a good analogy. He was saying that uh, it was you to say the sun that you see now is the sun of of uh, yesterday. Um, uh, you would say, yeah. But if you but at the same time, it's the same sun um, as the sun that's shown on Christ, it's the same sun that's shown on Moses. But because of the different time periods, we call it a different sun. Same as the days. We say every day is the same. You can mm. say, yeah, but if you used to say a long times of like progress in history and like what happened on this day and that, so you can count the days and have order. You could you say, yeah, the days are different. So they're all essentially just one, yeah. but at the same time progressive, you know. And by Gurdjieff, how do you see the Sikhism positioned with Hinduism and Islam, and what is the what are those connections? And uh, if you have uh, been to our Gurdwara, a Sikh place of worship, you see, uh, especially when as a Sikh I go to Gurdwara, I fold my hands and bow to the scriptures. The scriptures, many people do not know. When we bow to the scriptures, the scriptures have writings of uh, Sikh gurus and 15 other uh, people who were not even Sikhs. Hmm. They were, uh, Bhagat Farid was a Mus from Muslim faith, Bhagat Kabir was Vaishnav, Bhagat Namdev was a Hindu, they were, uh, Bhagat Ravadas was untouchable. There were people who were not into the Sikh religion, we bow to them. We don't uh, just say we tolerate them, we, we accept them, we accept their divinity. It is just like I came from Rockville and uh, to DC, I took different route. And uh, Mr. Doha might have come from different route, but we are at the same destination. As long as your destination is same, and you are with with God, the paths don't matter. When you when you are walking towards the same goal, and Guru Guru says, uh, Guru Nanak said, uh, you know, if you are a true Hindu, true Muslim. A true follower of your guru, you have to have that destination. And sometimes, if you are not honest, 
your true path will not take you there. You, if your path is true, you have to be truthful. The walker. And th there's a great harmony. I, I Sometimes I say the Guru Granth, the sixth scripture is the United Nation of Religions. So when we bow to uh, the scriptures, we bow to every faith. The beauty of every faith. Well, I'm going to come to Rockville and see for myself yeah. and be with you. Sure. <laughs> I invite you. Thank you. You don't need even an invitation. The God is inviting you. That's right. Yeah. And the same is true. Do I need an invitation to come and, <laughs> and visit with the Baha'i community? <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. I'm going to be busy visiting all of my guests. You're listening to Interfaith-ish on WOWDLP-FM in Tacoma Park. That's it for our show today. I want to especially thank our two guests, Bai Gurdashan Singh of the Gobind Singh Foundation and Sikh Center in Rockville, and Nia Doi Glover of the Local Spiritual Assembly of the Baha'i Community here in D.C. I hope you'll both come back and be with us again another time. Definitely. Whenever you invite. Okay. It's been a great pleasure having you both on the show. So I want to thank our listeners for spending our hour with us. Let us know if there's interfaith-ish you wish to dish by writing an email to us at interfaith-ish, interfaith-ish, at gmail.com. You can also listen to the 14 previous episodes of this show on SoundCloud or iTunes. And I also want to thank radio legend Bobby Hill for production assistance here in the studio this morning. We couldn't have done it without him.